This is episode number 103, How to Give More to Others, with Steve Sullivan. Welcome, my name is Oleg Lokhid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your false potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a few announcements. One of them being a shout out to our review of the week, which comes from Derek Garcia. I am honored to have done a podcast interview with Oleg for Overcoming Odds. They are doing great work that's important for each of us. We all have struggles that we must navigate. These podcasts provide real-life examples that inform and inspire their viewers. We are not alone in our journeys, and they are much more enjoyable when we can share our examples and learn from others. Thank you so much, Derek, for the wonderful review. If you want to be featured on our review of the week, please go ahead and leave us one on iTunes, Facebook, or Google. Now, let's get back to our guest. This week's conversation features Steve Sullivan. His mission is to transform leadership and company culture through teaching leaders how to use stories for more effective communications. His values are driven by faith and service. He believes in the ability of others to succeed and works to do what he can to help them succeed as a partner seeking their best interest. His objective is to secure coaching and workshop opportunities for leadership development in the art of storytelling. Without further ado, please welcome Steve Sullivan. Welcome back to another episode of the Overcoming Odds podcast. Today's guest is someone who I had the pleasure of meeting through LinkedIn, the power of LinkedIn. And I feel like I'm repeating myself over and over again through some of these guests. Because, you know, it truly is such a powerful platform. And when you and I first connected, Steve, we were were, um, able to also have an introductory call and really learn about each other's story. And I know that even that call alone, which was supposed to last five to ten minutes, went well into the hour. (laughs) So um, I appreciate you coming onto the show. And I appreciate you being able to share your story uh, with us. And for some of the people who haven't had a chance to share it, um, I'm a huge advocate for creating spaces for all of us as human beings to be seen and to be heard and to be supported along the journey. And so I really admire you um, taking this time. And, you know, the best way that I would like to start off this particular conversation for those who aren't familiar with who you are in your story is have you answer this rather loaded question of who are you? Okay, usually when people ask me that question, I just simply say, I'm a simple man who cares for others. Mm. Now, there's a whole lot behind me in my background, obviously, as an older man. You know, I've got 30 years of IT experience. I've got uh, 25 years of healthcare mm-hmm. IT experience and uh, done various things of service to the community. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as as in working and providing leadership and mentoring 
to those in the teams that I've led. So all those things are in my tool chest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that I do a lot now that I'm not working in corporate anymore is I'm a UMAP coach. And so I spend time helping people go through the UMAP discovery process and learn about their strengths, their values, their motivated skills, and their career interests. Mm-hmm. So when you pull those things together, it helps an individual to see who they are as a person and where they might find fulfillment in the work that they do or in the relationships they build. Uh, it's also a great way to get insights into relationships. Why do you act the way you act? Mm. That's a really good question. Yeah, just break, breaking down the behavior patterns. I think even sometimes I catch myself, I'm, I'm doing things that have been habitual over the years, and I don't even understand why I'm doing them. It's autopilot. You know, it's the same thing that repeats over and over again, and then you catch yourself and start to ask yourself, wait, why have I been doing this for 10 years this way? Why haven't I changed something along the way? And it's just, it became a part of the norm. Exactly. And so likely that ties back to some strength that you have. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you an example of one of my uh, clients that I coach. He has what's called the achiever strength, which is a very powerful strength. It causes people to be driven. They work hard. They want to set goals. They accomplish those goals. And they're very goal and task oriented. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he can see that clearly in his life. But with every strength, there's an Achilles heel. There's something that if you use too much of that strength, Mm -hmm. it can come back and bite you. And one of those with a achiever is you tend to put relationships to the side because you're focusing on a task. And so as, as I coached and canceled him, he thought about that and he said, I might do that. I'm not sure. But then the next week we got back together again. He said, Steve, the light bulb went on this weekend. I was working on a project for work at home on Saturday, and my six-year-old daughter came up to me and wanted my attention. And I brushed her aside. And then the light bulb went on. That's what Steve was talking about. And so then he went to his wife and asked her, you know, do I do this often? <laughs> and she said, all the time. So it was like a blind spot to him. Our strengths can have blind spots that if you gain those insights, you can now live better. So in his case, after realizing that, he came to the conclusion that he wants to guard against that strength taking away from his family. He wants to be number one at home more than he wants to be number one at work. Mm. Sounds like the first step of it all is just recognition, right? Recognizing that there's there's a different different way that you can do it because I can definitely relate to that. I think for me, <coughs> achievement has always been high on the list. And it's not necessarily to be able to say I have achieved X, Y, and Z or to prove to anyone. But it's more so it's one of those things when you set a goal in front of you. I've always believed that because there's a way I can get to that goal, no matter how difficult the obstacles in front of me may be, you know, you, you tend to lose focus of some of the other things. And so finding a way to kind of like maintain all of your buckets within you is, is, balance, is an yeah. ongoing challenge. Yeah. 
And so you probably have other skills that like that if you realize and recognize those skills and its strengths, you may be able to use them to help you balance out the achiever to avoid the blind spot. Mm. That's very true. Well, you know, the theme of today's episode and the conversation that you and I had prior was about staying in the present. And I think before we dive into that particular theme and concept, I wanted to actually take a step back, another step back, and help some of our listeners understand a time in your life that you shared with me where it really made sense for you, that being in the present was the only thing that I had. And so, you know, acting upon what I know and the people that are within my life really made the most sense. So could you, would you be willing to take, a, take us through that time where okay. it really made sense for you to be able to understand the power of the present moment? Yes, be glad to. Um, when I was a much younger man, I heard the words that no one ever wants to hear. I heard the words that no doctor ever wants to say. Three little words, you have cancer. And with those words, my, my world came to a screeching halt. Uh, I thought I was going to die. In fact, later my oncologist told me he didn't think I'd make it through that first night. Uh, and as I came through the realization of what I was facing and that I might not see tomorrow, I began to embrace today. I began to say, what can I do to make the most of the moment today? So I would stop and look around, you know, and I maybe notice a flower on the sidewalk and stop and maybe look at it uh, or some interesting bug or a squirrel. I just try and take in what was around me and the beauty and the creation that was around me. And then I had a, a young wife and two little boys under the age of two. And so uh, I spent as much time loving on them as I, I could. Um, I spent as much time as I could making memories with them. Uh, but ultimately, it was about embracing the day and making the most of that day. Because mm-hmm. uh, I came to a place in a mental uh, mindset of realizing that if I could live fully for just one day instead of 10,000 so-so days, it was worth it to live just that one day. It was good enough. I didn't need tomorrow Mm -hmm. because I had the beauty of today. And, And, you know, in God's grace, I'm still here enjoying each day in the moment. That's amazing. You know, one of the things as you shared the story that it makes me think of is I think oftentimes, especially with all the things that we shoot towards as far as the goals, and obviously, I mean, there are bills to pay and, and certain things to meet. How was it in your particular case and in that situation, you were able to, I don't know the right word, maybe let go of the worry that, okay, if I don't make this particular payment today, well, be it, you know, how, how do you, how do you come to terms with things like that? And just, 
are able to live in the moment and not have some of these external things worry you during the day to a point where it not necessarily becomes a life or death situation, but it certainly feels like it. You know, when the collection <laughs> agency is calling you and they're trying to get a hold of you, and and I and sometimes we, I truly believe we have to be able to take a step back and say that this is not the end of the road. I mean, yes. you know, just because the government or IRS is after you, whatever it may be, they're not going to take your life. So, uh, in, in your correct. case, like, how how did you get away from that particular mindset and being able to embrace just the per, the current moment? Well, I I certainly realized that I had responsibilities and obligations. While I was sick, I had no choice but to let go of those and let others uh, tend to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, but as I came out of my treatments and then looked at going back to work and doing the things daily, like working daily to get, to make money, to have the means to pay the bills and, and provide for the family. Mm -hmm. Uh, so the, you're right, that stuff doesn't go away, but again, you have to look at each day when I was sick. What I had to deal with at that point in time was making the most of a bad situation. Mm -hmm. When I regained my health and was able to work hard again, it was making the most of my time at work. And the people I worked with there and contributing to the company uh, to gain success. Uh, so it, your focus of where you spend that moment can change. Mm. What would you say was the most challenging part about trying to stay in the present moment and not th not thinking so much of the future and the things that you may have coming up? That's an excellent question. I I guess I would have to say that always in the back of my mind was the potential you know, when I got healthy, that the cancer might come back. Mm -hmm. And whenever I got sick, there was the worry of, oh, is this a sign that I'm, I'm getting sick again? Because I had leukemia, so it's a, a blood cancer. Uh, and it would manifest itself in certain ways with your blood. And so, you know, part of me probably again, focused on the day because I couldn't really think mm -hmm. next time down the road. I mean, when I, after I got done with my first treatment, I was healthy for almost a year. I relapsed. And after that second relapse and achieving remission, the doctors came to me and said, Steve, you're likely to be dead in a year. You have a 5%, less than 5% chance to live. Mm-hmm. And uh, coming from a medical family, you know, I'm used to honest conversation. So I, I thank the doctor for being honest with me. But I also told him, I said, there's no such thing as 5% life. You're either 100% live or you're 100% dead. Yeah. It's one or the other. And right now I'm 100% live and I'll keep living each day as <laughs> 100% live. And, you know, one of these days I'm sure the doctor will be right and I'll be gone in a year. <laughs> But it's been over 30 years, so. <laughs> That's amazing. Not yet. <laughs> That's amazing. 
You know, one of the things that stood out to me the first time you and I spoke about this particular moment that you experienced was the relationship that you have with um, death, to be honest. I think that's one of the biggest fears that, based on my experience, that we as humans experience, and that is the fear of dying. But you were able to possibly experience the other end of that, and that's literally being told that, okay, you have 24 hours or whatever the time frame was, and that's it. So how how did you or did you redefine what death meant for you at that particular moment? Well, certainly my faith played a big part into that in the sense that to me, death is not an end. It's just a crossing over to be with, you know, my God, and, you know, as a Christian, mm-hmm. that's Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Mm-hmm. And that one night when the doctor didn't think I would make it through, I could sense that I was not doing well. But in the middle of that time, a presence of peace came over me Mm -hmm. that I can only explain as supernatural. I've never felt such peace before that or after that. It was just all-consuming and totally awesome. And as I reflect upon it, I think, in many ways, it's like falling asleep in the arms of God. Mm-hmm. So I was looking at that period of life of leaving this world and potentially going to the next. Uh, but God, in God's grace, he held me, strengthened me through the night, and has set me to continue on. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, death has lost its fear Mm. um uh it's when i talk to people and i talk to a lot of cancer patients because they particularly ask that question because it's foremost on their minds that they Mm -hmm. could be so how do you deal with death steve and so then i just share my faith and say that because of what god has done through jesus christ I am prepared to go and be with my maker. Mm-hmm. Whether I, you know, when I was a young man, when I was sick, I used to think I'd be happy just living 30 years. Mm. As long as I made the most of those 30 years. And uh, now that I'm well into my 50s, you know, God keeps me here. You've exceeded your initial goal. <laughs> Well, I probably didn't burn out the way I thought I might burn out. But um, anyway, God numbers my days. So, uh, and that was another thing that got me through the the difficulty of the cancer stuff is it wasn't the cancer. It wasn't the doctors that numbered my days. It was God that numbered my days. So I just trusted him to say, mm-hmm. okay, if you if I only have five more days, then I want to make the most of those five more days. If you give me another 50 years, then Lord help me to make the most of those 50 years. Mm-hmm. Would you say that this particular experience that you've had helped redefine what your purpose may be in life? It certainly changed the direction I was going in. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I went to Wheaton College with the expectation that I would probably try to go out and do service abroad somewhere as a 
so-called missionary and was very active on campus for missionary efforts. Mm-hmm. Um, and getting sick pretty much within a year of graduating from college, that put me in a, in a situation of, again, not knowing what my future held. And uh, that dream in many ways uh, was put aside. Um, there, I've had opportunity to do some short-term things since then, and I love doing short-term projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most of my life going forward is, has been tied to the career that I developed in IT and healthcare, and I support those that I can overseas. Mm. You mentioned a lot about service and, and you know giving back in instances whenever you can, especially now with the story and the experiences that you've had. It, would you say a lot of that was influenced? Who influenced that within you to, to serve others, to give back? Was it your parents? Was it someone else along the way that helped you understand and val- and understand the value of helping others and achieve yeah. their goals and dreams and things like that? Well, certainly my, my parents. My father was a physician. Mm-hmm. My mother was a nurse uh, who went on to get a doctorate in nursing and led the um, – she was dean of the nursing school at Wichita State University. Uh, and they were very service-oriented. Uh, I can remember times where my mom had support groups for battered women coming into our homes, and she would help because uh, she had – Nursing from a psychology background, she would counsel and try and help them, you know, get it on a better path mm-hmm. uh, and to resolve some of their issues. My dad was uh, going overseas to various places and and serving people. Uh, in fact, one time he was uh, kidnapped by a bunch of gorillas um, in, uh, I think it was Honduras. Because <laughs> they had a, they had an injured party that you know the, the the army had hurt one of their people and and they knew that he was there so they went and grabbed him and uh, he helped care for that um, person and then when they were done they were grateful enough to take him back and let him go as opposed to holding on to him mm. uh, but. You know, my dad was an amazing man in that sense. And uh, from that, yes, there's a a definite desire to continue to serve. Mm. This this is a question that I ask all of our guests, especially those that get a chance to share a little bit about their parents and their upbringing. And that is, if you were given one word or a couple words to describe your parents, how would you describe them? Who were they to you? Well, my mom, for those of you that are on LinkedIn and know Louise Reed and the whole lady boss movement, my mom is the epitome of a lady boss. <laughs> you know, she she was the oldest of six from a farm, and she doesn't let anything slow her down. I mean, she's in her early 80s, mm-hmm. and she's heading up four different uh, groups. You know, president of this or secretary to that. And she just keeps on leading. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so that's that's my mom. She's always a go-getter. Um, my dad was a kind and gentle, compassionate man. Um, and he he always made time for his family. I I knew how busy he was. I saw how hard he worked. In fact, <laughs> I did not go into medicine because I watched my dad and in the hours he had, <laughs> and and the journals. I mean, you bring these journals home, and I'd look at them and say, I couldn't. No, I don't want to read that stuff. <laughs> So it's like, I'm not doing that. So I went into IT <laughs> to escape from going into medicine. Mm-hmm. Steve, how would, how can people find you? And what are some of the things that you have coming up that people can be a part of? Well, I'm starting a, an initiative as far as coaching and trying to help people tell their stories. Mm-hmm. I love telling stories. Um, those that know me on LinkedIn know that I've, I do a series called Story Saturday where I write stories, which I've done for the last year, that are, are generally powerful little stories with a message. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm taking what I know there and have learned and done to say to other people, hey, if you need help, you know, with your personal brand, mm-hmm. with your legacy, with um, content creation. You know, I can come in and I can help you try and find and develop those stories that you need to be successful in those different arenas. Mm-hmm. Um, so and the best way to find me is through LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you know the LinkedIn, I guess, URL structure, I am Steve Dash Sullivan Dash IT. Mm. Why do you, Why do you think storytelling is important? Just curious to know from your your perspective. Storytelling has always been important to communities and peoples long before we ever wrote anything down. Uh, I think the reason they've been they continue to be so powerful is they intrigue us. They pull us in. Uh, you know, it's one thing for me to tell you, you know, like in a customer service situation, be sure to smile at everybody. Okay. It's another for me to say, you know, one of the things that's important as our organization does is you guys should watch Sally. Sally, just the other day, I got a, uh, a compliment from this woman who came into the store and she was feeling really down and she saw Sally smile and it made her day enough that she wrote a compliment and sent it in. Mm. That kind of story starts to get people to think about, yeah, smile has power. Mm-hmm. So, so telling people—that's yeah, the difference. Telling people some things, it doesn't sink in. You show them through a story, and it has a greater capability of being more effective and sinking in. That makes sense. Well, Steve, thank you so much for being on thank here, you. sharing your story and your experience. Um, for those that are interested in connecting, please reach out to him through LinkedIn as I did before, and and be able to learn more about who he is and what he does.
Thank you, Ollie. It was great being on your program today. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to our weekly newsletter so you can receive all of the latest episodes, featured stand-up and speak-up stories, and ways you can be involved with Overcoming Odds. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we'll look forward to having you next week.